0: James 1, verses 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures
1: good morning church i'm glad and grateful to, uh, to be with you this morning I want you to think about this for a little bit. If you've lived here on this earth, even just for a short amount of time, you may have noticed that life isn't always as glamorous as it seems on the internet or in a Hallmark movie or on Instagram or on social media, right? Life isn't as glamorous as it seems. There are often a lot of problems that people face on a daily basis. There's a lot of evil in this world, so much. Uh, We we describe it as great darkness. There are also a lot of people who don't follow God and purposefully oppose what God has told people to do. They oppose him. They hate him. They hate his followers. Uh, His followers, if you don't know, uh, his followers known as Bible-believing Christians, those who follow after his words that he has spoken to us, They're people that despise God, the the same people that despise God are the same people who see evil as good and good as evil. And we see this type of people uh, growing in numbers today. Along with these oppositions that we face uh, from people who uh, hate God, we also face our own inward oppositions from ourselves, known as the struggle between the spirit and our flesh. We also face outward obstacles from circumstances that we experience in life. James does a great job uh, in chapter one of his letter that he wrote to uh, the early church, uh, to Jewish uh, followers of Christ, explaining what these things he defines as temptations, and then also what trials look like, and how to go about dealing with them as a Christian. And I'll define the word Christian as a follower of Jesus, someone who follows Jesus, but also someone who uh, believes the Bible for what it is wholeheartedly, um, the whole Bible, not just picking and choosing. So if you have a Bible with you, a church chair Bible, uh, you're going to be looking for a James. It's going to be on page 586. So go to 586 with me. But before we get too far and too deep into uh, James, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that today you help us to grasp uh, from, from your word what it is you want us to hear today, Lord. May we not forget about it when we leave today, but may you pierce our hearts. May you bring great conviction, but also may you bring great comfort into our lives. May we treasure what it is you have to say to us, Lord. May we honor you by living it out. It's in your mighty and marvelous name, Father God. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. So I kind of spoke about it a little bit. Uh, If you don't know, James, the book of James, it's a letter. It was written in AD 62 by James. Uh, He's the half-brother of Jesus. We're going to be in James 1.1. And so he opens the letter saying this. This is his introduction to the letter of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Okay, so that's his greeting. What is the theme of this letter? What is the theme that's going on? The theme is this. Faith that works is a living and real faith faith, or works, is the evidence of our faith. Point one is this. Believers will encounter trials in life. Believers will encounter trials in life. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So point 1a is this, because of these trials, our faith will be tested. Because of our trials, our faith will be tested. So we're going to lean in and focus on verses 2 through 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Everyone faces trials. If you're a human, you're going to experience great tragedies in life. And the worst tragedy, I would say, to enter the world is sin. Sin is the greatest tragedy that entered the world. If you are a follower of Christ, you're going to encounter trials often far greater than the trials of non-believers. That is just part of what living a Christian life looks like. In the early church, uh, believers faced persecution and great hardship. Uh, There were many enemies of Christians back then. Uh, The world hated them and killed them off. If you love God, you will face trials of many types and for various reasons. Some trials uh, that we could be facing today include the loss of a loved one, financial loss, economic hardship, uh, sickness, health problems, uh, even what we call the epidemic of loneliness today. Uh, It's grown far, far greater than it ever has been before. Uh, Depression is up. Uh, There's a lot of trials that people are facing. Trials are situations in which you are in, in which you typically have no control over, you are just facing them. you can, however, control how you deal with these trials, either seeing them as a blessing or, uh, and, and something to delight in, or you can see them as a curse and something to despise. You can ha- choose to have joy in the midst of these trials, or you can do what most people do. Uh, most people who aren't believers, uh, they become angry and bitter towards trials Uh, they become angry and bitter towards people, and they eventually become angry and bitter towards life in itself. So we have to be careful and watchful that we don't uh, do that. James, James, he's the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote this letter, and he encountered trials as a follower of Jesus. So did Peter. Peter, I mean, he faced opposition all the time. We have Paul. They all faced opposition. But, but uh, both James and Peter seem to agree on where, what the purpose behind trials is. It also seems likely that James and Peter were both writing to and reaching the same people in their ministry and in their letters. Yet the, they, they uh, authored it, and, and the author's intent, the, what they uh, decided to do, is, uh, their recipients were the Jewish Christians of that time, right? Paul was mainly... a uh, reaching the Gentiles, and James and Peter were mainly ministering to the Jews who became Christians. That's just a a side note. But let's see what Peter has to say in this in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. It says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that... And here's our purpose clause. You, whenever there's a so that, that means there's a purpose behind that. that. Those words mean that there is purpose in this statement. And so it says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials and when we face these trials and the way that we face these trials brings honor to God. These trials aren't meaningless or worthless, but actually can bring great value into our lives. In, in business, in finance, what we would call this value is intrinsic value. It's added value into this thing. Maybe before it had no value, but because of Jesus... He puts great value into our lives, and these trials are not worthless. They might have seemed worthless to the world, but to Jesus, they have all the meaning in the world, because these trials refine us. They take out the worthless parts of our life, the sinful, evil parts, and they can make us brand new through the power of Jesus. So the idea that Peter is bringing up here, and that both Peter and James are talking about uh, these trials, these trials as a fire, this is just an analogy that Peter is getting at, uh, is a fire that refines metal, uh, known as a machine called a crucible. A crucible. It, It was a tool that would heat up, and it would use fire to sift through metals. The hot fire would burn up any impurities uh, in the metals, and what you would be left with was precious metals, gold, silver, beautiful metals, metals that actually had great value, right? Because if it's just iron ore, uh, not worth very much. If it's copper, not worth very much. But when you get to that gold That's where you find the real intrinsic value. And and that's what Jesus uh, does in our lives through these trials, is he's making us more valuable through these trials and more uh, strong through these trials. So 1B, point 1B is this. Both trials and the testing of our faith will make us become stronger followers of Jesus. Both trials and the testing of our faith will make us become stronger followers of Jesus. Verse 4 says this, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So these trials will make us steadfast. What does steadfast mean? It means not easily shaken, It's called the word immovable. You are not able to be moved. Though the earth may shake, because of the Lord and his power in you through these trials and strengthening your faith, you will become immovable. You'll basically, imagine imagine a, a ship. A ship will move, right, when the waves hit, but it won't move if it's anchored to the ground, right? If it's anchored deep. And that's what it's saying. If you're anchored to Christ, if your faith is in Christ during these trials, you are anchored down and you won't be able to move because these trials and keeping your faith in Christ during these trials is making you strong, unable to be moved. But it's not of yourselves, right? It's because you're anchored to Christ. It's because you're deep in the Lord, in your faith, that you're standing strong so, when the storms of life come and the great winds of destruction come into your life and try to tear you down, you will be standing strong when you place your faith in Christ. Because no matter the circumstance or situation that you're in, if you place your faith in Christ, no matter how hard or difficult, you can still stand strong because your faith is in the Lord. And I think uh, a great illustration of this. Uh, is found in Psalms chapter 1. So if you go to Psalms chapter 1 with me, it talks about someone who is strong, someone who is uh, deeply connected to God, and their foundation is found in Him. And here is this, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And here's verse 3. This one's very important in this verse. He is like a tree, planted, planted, deeply rooted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." He is like a tree planted. It says planted, but the analogy here isn't just being planted. It's being connected deeply in your roots, roots deep all the way in the ground where you cannot be moved. Uh, This man the psalmist described is rooted in the streams of water. He's receiving nourishment. And we later find on that this water is the living water of God, and that the tree is not able to be uprooted. It is bearing great fruit. See, it yields its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. So it's not dying in any way, but instead there is great life in this tree, in this person. This is the picture of James uh, that James and David are both getting at, in which they are describing what a Christian is and what their faith should look like. So that that was all point one, okay? (laughs) So I had some sub points. But then what about us? How, How can I apply that to my life? What can I do with this, right? Ask yourself, are we standing strong in our faith when hard times hit? Or do we do the easy thing, which is to flee to whatever safety we can find, whatever might give us temporary comfort for that moment? Or are we staying closely connected to Christ? Are we leaning in in our faith? Are we leaning in deeper and saying, you know what? Despite these circumstances, despite what's going on in my life, I love you, God, and I trust you despite all these difficult things I am going through. Are we doing that? Because trust me, it's so easy to go the other way and to flee, to go to whatever is comfortable but it's not worth it. It's so much better to run to God, to run to him in faith. Point number two is this. Wisdom will be given by God so we can know how to live life even in the midst of trials. I'm going to say that again. Wisdom will be given by God so we know how to live life even in the midst of our trials. So we'll read that passage. We're going to read James 1, 5 through 11. And it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit." So point number 2A is this. We must ask Him for wisdom in faith. We must ask God for wisdom in faith. And we get that from James 1, 5-6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But, there's a, a but here. But let him ask faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, verse five, going back to wisdom. Do you lack wisdom? Do you lack understanding in life? Do you not know what to do or who you are called to be? Are you lost in the current season of Life that you're in? Are you wondering what decisions you should make or how to make and choose major decisions in your life? Are you overwhelmed in your life, in your circumstances? Maybe your trials seem so difficult, all you can see is yourself being what we would call stuck. But you're not. You're not really. Because you remember, God can give you guidance. He can give you counsel through his wisdom. Even in our situations that seem terrible, God can use the worst of situations for good. So are we asking him? Are we asking him for wisdom on how to to make those decisions? Are we asking him for help? And verse 6 says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave tossed by the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. However, we are told to ask God in faith to give us wisdom. What does asking God in faith mean, and what does it look like? What do you guys think? It means to trust God wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, Unwavering faith is trusting uh, in God, being dependent on Him, and being still, and knowing He is who He is, and He can do what He can do, which is anything and everything, because He is the Almighty God. And a wonderful uh, verse from Psalms is Psalms, uh, 40, Psalm 46.10. And I remember, I, I, I first really leaned into this verse on a missions trip, and it really got me through the missions trip. Uh, you know, I was feeling really discouraged. Um, it was when I went to Spain. Uh, it was a brand new experience for me. I I was with brand new people. Um, I went with the one of the churches uh, that I had been on staff at, but the missions team I was part of, I knew no knew no I knew no one, and so I was really like discouraged. I was not having a good attitude. I was uh, a little frustrated. And I came across this verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And it was a great reminder of what I was there for. To bring glory to him. To bring honor to him. And it's the same thing with our trials. with, With what's the reason? To bring honor to him to bring honor to him and not doubting him, not doubting his ability, not doubting his ability to follow through on his promises, that we can trust him and that we can rely on him when everything else in this world is unreliable. Because if you think about it, in this world, there's nothing you can 100% rely on, right? Sure, you have a job, but does that always mean You're going to have a job. Uh, You could get laid off. The company could go under. You could randomly get fired. Apparently, in the state of California, there's like a rule where you can get fired at any moment if they choose to. But that's just an example. Please don't fire me. No, just kidding. (laughs) No. But, But anyways, there's nothing that's 100% confirmed, right? There's a lot of things that are up in the air in this world even the economy. can't trust that. Uh, you can't trust your car. I mean, you can, but you never know. Even in a brand new car, what could happen? Uh, you could get an accident. Uh, it could just break down randomly. And so just think about that. These are some worldly things that are not reliable. But when you think about it, God is 100% reliable, and he always delivers on his promises. And uh, Jesus, he explains what faith looks like in Matthew twenty one, twenty one through 22. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, uh, something happened to a fig tree uh, in the pr- previous passage, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So my question is, do you have faith that God can deliver his promises and that he will follow through in his promises? And I have a quote from an awesome missionary. You may have heard of him. Uh, Pastor Cliff is an awesome missionary. It's not Pastor Cliff. But it's another awesome missionary. (laughs) Uh, His name is William Carey, and he says this Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. William Carey, he was often referred to as the father of modern missions. He was initially rejected by various missionary societies in England due to his lack of formal education and his background as a shoe cobbler. However, he persevered and eventually went on to become one of the most influential and pioneering missionaries in history. He says this once again, expect great things from God and also attempt great things for God. William Carey does a great job at reminding us to really live out our faith, to trust God, to seek God, and to know that he can and he will accomplish what he has promised to us. It also summarizes this statement. The statement summarizes what uh, William Carey did. He stepped out in faith, trusting God. He went outside of his comfort zone to hit the mission field, often being in difficult circumstances. Uh, financially, uh, there were some times where uh, his bank account, you know, zero, right? Really rough financially. Um, Being in difficult circumstances, but also not just being in difficult circumstances, but often the places he was in were uncomfortable places. But, once again, I'll say that purpose clause again, so that, or the reason why he did these things was because he knew God was in control. God has the power over anything and everything. And that even though he may face Great grief for a moment. That grief and sorrow is only for a season. But there is great joy and satisfaction when you live in faith that has a lasting home in eternity. This satisfaction and great joy in God will be forevermore. Point 2B is this. Worldly wisdom and wealth will perish but godly wisdom prepares a believer for eternity. I'll say that again. Worldly wisdom and wealth will perish, but godly wisdom prepares a believer for eternity. James 1, 7 through 8 says this, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He who does doubt God and what he can do should not expect to receive great things from God. We must place our faith 100% in God. Being a double-minded man's—oh, sorry, being a—I did the plural thing, too. Being a, being a double-minded man, singular, there we go, means being a bipolar, basically, right? Bipolar in your faith, Um. One minute we're saying we're believing, the next instance we're the exact opposite. So, we must pray and ask God to help us to stabilize in our faith by placing our faith 100% in God. I'm sorry guys, but there's no 50% God, and then 50% I'm trusting my finances, or trusting this, or trusting that. 100% faith in God. Not even 50% Trusting God, fifty percent trusting your spouse, can't trust even humans. Even if we have the most amazing spouse in the world, we're still all sinners, right? Everyone, no matter what. So we have to place our hundred percent trust in God. James one nine through eleven says this: Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty also perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So despite our financial situation, we should be grateful for what God has given us. And remember that things of this world, such as finances, um, houses, cars, they're all temporary they are what we would call temporal but things of god are eternal this is a passage that brings us brings us back to similar words of the very similar words of what jesus said on the sermon of the mount known as the backwards kingdom it's called the backwards kingdom because it is the exact opposite of what we might expect the rich are considered lower and the poor are in a high position of honor God has a completely different value system in his kingdom than in our world, and so we have to remember, um, are we pursuing God or are we pursuing wealth? Because what matters is what we're pursuing. It's not the money that's bad, it's the way you're using your money or if you're making it the end-all be-all, right? Right? Luke six twenty through 21 says this, and he lifted up his eyes to his disciples, and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will soon laugh, you shall laugh. And then James 2 5 says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So, my application to you is, are you making finances the end-all be-all? Because like I said before, finances aren't bad, but they're not everything. The world typically makes it everything, right? your finances in the world usually means your status, right? Um, People always are comparing uh, each other. Oh, I I have this car. I have this house. But in God's kingdom, it's not about that at all. What matters most is your faith, is your faith in God, because that's the only thing that's going to last. Point three is this. The man who perseveres in their faith during trials and the testing of their faith will receive eternal life. And that's found in James 1.12. And I'll say that point over again. The man who perseveres in their faith during trials and the testing of their faith, they will receive eternal life. So blessed is the man who remains, that word again, steadfast, immovable, anchored to Christ, uh, under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And point 3a is this. Here's my sub point. We will be tempted to live in a way that is contrary to faith in God. That's all of us. We, meaning all of us, including myself, we all will be tempted to live in a way that is contrary to faith in God. That will be a temptation that we have. But here's James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted for God, uh, by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And if you're wondering, well, why did he say that? Tempted to live in a way that is contrary to faith in God. Because anytime we sin, we're living in a way that's contrary to faith in God. Right? Think about that. It's being disobedient to God. It's not trusting God and who he is as Savior and Lord. And so, yeah, we will be tempted to sin. We will be tempted to live in a way that is contrary to faith in God. But 3B, here's point 3B. When we are tempted, the temptation is not from God, but is from our own sinful flesh. James 1.14 puts it like this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I'll say that again. But each person, every person, all people, these are different ways to say it. In the Greek, this is how you can uh, translate it. Each, every, all. It's talking about each person Each individual person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, we cannot blame God for our problems, our mistakes, or our issues with sin. The Bible tells us man inherited sin in the creation story in Genesis. Uh, Man inherited it. It was not created by God. From Adam, the first human male, we all inherited sin. And Adam also used the tactic we have often used. What is it? The blame game, right? The blame game does not work with God. You can't play God like that, right? God will not be blamed because he is ultimately good. God is naturally good, and because of Adam, we are inherently sinful. We need God's help to break free from sin and to take on the understanding and recognize that we are sinful and that we need help. That sin is our own problem. It's our own responsibility. But that God offers a solution to our problem with sin through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. That is the solution to our sin issue. And what does sin bring? This is point 3C. Sub point 3C. Sin brings forth death, but God can bring us light and life. Sin brings forth death, but God brings us light and life. James 1, 14 through 18. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, uh, sin, and sin, when it fully grows, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good, gift, or every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of the firstfruits of his creatures." The results of falling after evil desires, of falling after our sin, is death. God made this clear in the beginning with Adam and Eve, that disobeying God and following your own desires leads to death. It says it in Genesis two seventeen. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Said it right there. There is a point right there that God was making. Doing what God commanded them not to do leads to death. There is a word for doing what God commanded for doing what God commanded you not to do, and that word is sin. Sin leads to death. And the Greek word for sin is harmatia. harmatia. It it is disobeying God. It is not following his instruction, and harmatia, or sin, uh, was often uh, used uh, as an archery illustration. uh, When you're shooting uh, a bow and arrow, and you're aiming at the target. If you miss the target, you just committed harmatia, sin. And what's the target? Perfection. It's God. It's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate standard of good, and we never meet that mark. Only by God's grace do we ever hit that mark. So, I'm sorry, guys. This all sounds dark and depressing, right? But don't despair. These next three verses, uh, James 1, 16 through 18, there's a whole new side of the story that brings hope to all who believe. It says this Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Sin will destroy us, but God will give us good gifts. Some of the gifts include, my favorite, eternal life, life with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, His Son, our Great Father, and even trials that make, us, uh, make our faith greater and stronger. These are some of the gifts. So, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, God's Son, our Great Father, uh, and even trials that make our faith greater and stronger. Those can all be gifts that God has given us. Do we always see them as gifts? Unfortunately, no, we don't, but we should. We should see them as gifts. And he gave us the word of truth, which is his word. And the, the Greek word here in uh, word of truth, so word actually is not translated. So if it was uh, talking about word as in like scriptures, it would have said graphe, graphe. But actually, I looked it up. I'm in a Greek class right now. Lord, please help me through that Greek class. There's a lot of studying. <laughs> but um, it's actually the word logos, logos, and it's the same word that is used in John one one. And it's this. If it, let's see. I am silly. I did not pull up John 1.1, so I'm going to pull it up on my phone. And here it is. In the beginning was the Word. Logos is the Word here. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with, in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Word of truth with which we are receiving is not, it's not talking about this in this, in this uh, passage. It's talking about the word of truth, who's Jesus. So I want that to be made known. And that's why it's so important um, that we look at things in context and are able to, to really see who this is talking about. So it's saying that Jesus is the greatest gift we've received from God and that we will ever receive. Amen. So I have a summary for this, and I want you to remember this. I made it in uh, four parts. Part number one is this. You will encounter trials. Your faith will be tested, and the testing of your faith is ma- meant to make you, your faith stronger in God. Number two, wisdom will be given by God so we can know how to live life. However, we must ask for wisdom in faith. Worldly wisdom and wealth will perish, but godly wisdom prepares a believer for eternity. Three, the man who perseveres in their faith during these trials and testing of their faith will receive eternal life. And then four, we will be tempted to live in a way that is contrary to faith in God, but when we are tempted, the temptation is not from God, but from our own sinful flesh. Sin brings forth death, but God brings us light and life in His Son, Jesus. So my application is this. For believers, remember this. Face trials knowing that God will use those trials for good, to make you strong in your faith. God will give you wisdom on how to face these trials if you ask Him in faith. And remember that the wisdom that he does give you is a lasting wisdom. Remember that faith is not a sprint, but instead it's more like a cross-country race. Do you guys know what cross-country is, cross-country running? I don't know if I, got, if I told you guys, I uh, was the captain of my cross-country team in high school. I used to run a lot. Um, I could use some running after being a dad now, <laughs> but um, I used to run cross-country, and the goal wasn't necessarily to sprint as fast as you can. No, it was to persevere. It's all about taking uh, initiative and and really being able to to run with endurance. And so those who persevere in faith in Christ, they will receive eternal life. So live your life in light of Christ. Make him your focus. And don't allow yourself... To get distracted by temptations that try to take your eyes off the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize, the prize that is life with Christ. And then, of course, so that's the application for those who believe in Christ. But there's, of course, another side for those who don't trust in God, who don't um, see Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I want to say this to those people. Uh, If you're watching online or if you're here right now, God offers people the greatest gift. We all deserve God's wrath because of our own inherited sin. Sin leads to death, and there must be blood that is shed for our sin, a blood sacrifice. But Jesus stepped in. He died on the cross, being the perfect sacrifice. He stepped in and he replaced us. However, we must not place However, we must place our faith in Him, accepting Him as our personal Lord and Savior. I plead and I ask you to see who God is and what He can do. He's changed my life completely. And trust me, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love the fact that I get to, to live a life of faith in God. And even if I had to face the worst circumstances... God is still good, and I still love him. And so, a life lived for God is the greatest way you can live your life. Finding real purpose, real joy and meaning. So, if you are interested in becoming a Christian and learning uh, what being a Christian is all about, I invite you to talk with me or Pastor Cliff after service, because it is the most amazing thing you can experience. And yes, it's hard. Like we read in this whole passage, you will encounter trials. Uh, storms will come. But God is so good. He is amazing, and He is the most uh, amazing one that we could give our lives for. So don't forget that. But let's pray. Dear God, I. Um, I ask that we face trials of life, remembering that you will use these trials, these hard times in our life for good, to make us strong in our faith. God, give us wisdom on how to face these trials and obstacles in life, God. Help us to persevere in faith till the end. Help us not to give in to our flesh, into sin or into temptation, God. May we live our life in the light of of your Son, in the light of Christ. Help us to make him our focus, and don't allow us to get distracted by temptations that try to take our eyes off the prize, but instead, Lord, keep our eyes on the prize, the prize that is you. We love you, God, and we, we offer you our praise and our worship. It's in your mighty name, Father God, and all God's people said, amen.
0: Why don't you stand with us for one closing song?